Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight. We are really excited. I, I shouldn't say we. I don't know why I talk about myself as if there's more than one of me sitting in I'm the room. I'm excited too. <laughs> so we are. Yes. No, we are. But um, Mark Pepper is on today's episode. I call him Dr. Pepper. I just feel like there's, he's a doctor. You're, you're totally a doctor in, in my view. You've got a lot of wisdom and goodness about you. Um, I personally have known Mark for about the last, oh, it's been what, three, four years um, when my wife and I bought our first home in Murray, uh, we had the good fortune of being neighbors with you and your son, Max, and um, just right off the bat felt like this guy's awesome. I, 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 I'll just say this real quick for my guests to know our connection. Alicia and I, one summer night, one of the first nights we lived there, we we're sitting out on the lawn talking and you came over and just sat down with us. And I, you know, I think we talked for an hour, an hour and a half and, uh, that was cool. It was refreshing. People don't do that a whole lot anymore. Mm-hmm. And especially with what's going on in the world today with coronavirus, we, we are afraid to do that. Right. We need more of that. So, um, but as I've learned about Mark, um, I just, you've been through a lot. Your story is phenomenal. And I, I'm excited to dig a little deeper on that today from where I'm at. Thank you. But you have so much to offer um, souls and people that are hurting and struggling and that's, I think a life focused on helping somebody else is a life that is well-lived. I think there's no better thing that we can, that we can do, um, that is as priceless as helping our brothers and sisters that are out there that, that are struggling with maybe some things that we can relate to and been through. So enough of my voice though. Mark is, Mark is awesome. I hope you all enjoy Mark. We have a lot to learn from him today. He's, he's got a quite the story. And, and Mark, if, if you want to take it from here and just kind of tell us about you, um, you just got married recently and I'll let you get into that, but, yeah. but tell us about you and, and what's happening currently in your life and, you know, a little bit about your background. Wonderful. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. I appreciate it. I'm, I feel honored to be um, sitting with you and doing this today. And, um, and thank you for listening. That's that's sweet. Um, so yeah, I, we talked a little bit about laying a foundation for this and I, I think it might be important to go back a ways. Um, so I grew up in Salt Lake city. I was adopted into my family. Um, I have two sisters who are both biological kids of my parents and then I'm adopted. And, um, that seems relevant to me because I didn't really feel like I fit into my family very well. And I was, I was raised Jewish in Salt Lake city. And I probably don't need to say that I didn't feel like I felt <laughs> I fit into my community very well either. Yeah. 
So, um, so not only in your personal family, but I mean, obviously with the religious values of Utah right. being a huge percent LDS, yep. that, that was there as well. Right. And this was in the, yeah, I was, you know, I was born in 1963. So yeah. the early sixties, late, you know, in that period through the seventies, I, um, I didn't really know any non-Mormon. I thought everyone was just Mormon. Most people were, And yeah. so, um, I would try to fit in any way I could, right? I, I think as a normal human being and a normal child, I tried to fit in, and I didn't, just in my own way, right? I think um, I have two, both my sisters seem to have normal upbringings and really successful professional lives all along. Were you were you younger than I'm them? I'm in the or? middle. Oh, you're middle, okay. Um, which there's all oh, sorts of bad. stuff that goes along with being <laughs> so, a middle kid. So Jewish, Utah, Adopted, yeah, adopted, middle, middle child. I mean, right. God, I got more. Sad. I got more, but well, you know, that's a that's sort of a foundation. Odds so are odds are stacking up against stacked you. Stacked against me, and I um I had what we now call ADD. They didn't diagnose that in the in the seventies. I was I was sent to therapy at like five years old. Yeah, been in therapy a lot of my life. Um, so I was real athletic. I um so I fit in that way at school. Sure, and I'm a smart guy, so I fit in with the smart kids, and I um. The place I fit in the most in high school was with the stoners. I, I started drinking and, and smoking pot, and man, I, I, I found this ease and comfort settle over me, unlike any I'd felt. Sure. That I was finally okay. And was, um, it be, was it because of the drugs or because you felt like you were fitting in with certain people? Yes. Yeah. Both. Both. Because <laughs> um, the alcohol particularly would really relax me. Gotcha. And I, I wasn't a very relaxed kid. but I And I don't remember this very much. Sure, but sure. As I reflect, and I I had some really close friends at that point that we, the, the connection we had was we, we partied together. Yeah. Um, we didn't have very much else in common, but we liked to drink and smoke pot. Sure. Um, you kind so, of felt your, you, you started to find your, your fitting place, if you will. Yeah, yeah with Yeah without a lot of substance, right? I mean, well, there were substances, but there wasn't much substance to these relationships. We would party. Um, and these, these relationships, I got, I got sober at 39. So I'm talking about a 25 year history of drug and alcohol wow. abuse. And I, I don't know that it's that important to talk about what happened sort of before I got sober very sure. much more other than it progressively led me to live at Pioneer Park. Okay. Um, I was stealing from my dad. Which is downtown Salt Lake. Downtown Salt Lake. It's it's commonly known as the block, yeah. which is where you score heroin and cocaine and crack. And, um, a lot of the homeless, homeless hang out homeless there. Hangout. Yeah. Um, I've eaten out of garbage cans. I've panhandled for money. Just a little bit. I like to say that because it sounds so dark. Yeah. It, it, I probably did it four times. Yeah. So... But that, um, it's that's on my a, resume, though. But that's I was going to say. <laughs> and, and when you get to that point in life where you're doing those things, it sounds dark, but that's desperation. It's desperation. So you've gotten to that point in your life. Anyway, we'll come back so, to that. So, I, so um, and I want to talk a little bit, you know, when I say I took, took from my father, who is still alive. He's a sweet old guy. He's my best friend. He's my hero. That's awesome. And um, I did so much damage to that relationship that... Um, I'm not doing anymore. I've, I've been able to completely right that ship and right those wrongs and get straight with him and with God that, um, and all, all of my relationships, in fact, and I have both my parents are still alive, which is a real blessing at, at my age and their age. And I have two amazing children. I was able to adopt my daughter um, when she was probably 11 or 12. I'd been around five or six years and had been sober five or six years. Oh, that's and, awesome. Um, 
just adore her. And, um, and my son was born two months after I got sober. Yeah. And no um, kidding. So how cool is that? And it was, you know, the two kids are sort of the reason because my wife at the time was pregnant with our son and had her sweet little six year old. And they, I, my sort of the dark, you know, as, as I sort of talk about moving towards delight, the last night I drank, I have a real strong visual of sitting in a, in the basement in our bedroom and she had caught me again, mm. which is almost always the only time I got honest was when sure. I was caught. Sure. And, um, she said, I'm leaving and, um, we love you, but I don't think you can be sober. I've watched you try. Um, I've been to rehab quite a bit. I've been to jail. I've been to psychiatric institutions. I've been committed to a psychiatric institution. Yeah. Um, and I have this visual of them driving away and she with her beautiful belly. We, we didn't know what oh, gender wow. our son was going to be, but, and this sweet little girl. And I'm, I'm, it was the 9th of October, which is tomorrow. No kidding. In yeah. 2002. Wow. Right. So my sober date is the 10th of October of 2002. So right. the timing is beautiful, but I didn't know I'd get sober that day because I had tried so with intense. all the earnestness. I mean, every time I went to treatment and every time I committed to being sober, you meant it. I meant it. Yeah. Like in the deepest part of my soul, I was like, this I'm is done. your time. You have yeah. to stop. So I think the kids were some inspiration. Although as I've grown in recovery, kids can't get anybody sober. Sure. Um, I think I'd had enough. And, and one of the things that happened the 10th or 11th or 12th of October, and I didn't know this at the time, was that I had really turned my life over to God. Sure. And, um, man, I had a lot of confusion about God growing up Jewish in Salt Lake City. And I still kind of have confusion about God because there's just so, there's, it's so big. Whatever he, she, God, I mean, just the notion of God is so large that someone with my brain capacity cannot encompass what that is. Um, so I got sober and slowly moved into the light. And it was a really dark period of time. I, I was suicidal for quite a bit of time, and I'm really grateful that I didn't do that. I would have, I would have killed the wrong guy. Yeah. I would have killed this guy. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I, I thought I was that guy. And and so, that's interesting, because as you say, killed this guy, you're pointing at yourself now, meaning... The, where you are currently. Right. This and, is who I would yeah. have. And I think about that if you're, if you're thinking of mm -hmm. this sort of thing. And I know it's epidemic in, in Utah and in the, in the country. Suicide. For sure. Yeah. Um, and if not suicide, like suicidal thinking is, yes. is almost, it, it's not as damaging. Like, I, man, I, no one's going to talk you out of doing that. For me, it was, um, I couldn't drink enough or take enough drugs. I was not going to do it another way. But I, as I see it today, I'm like, I, w I would have missed out on uh, an entire life. Yeah. And, um, and I would say the only thing I would say was talk to people, get some help. Like it's um, what I've come to see is my thinking was all wrong. I believed some things that yeah. were not true. What do they call it in AA? Because I've been there stinking thinking, stinking right? Thinking and, 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 and stinking thinking. And, as a, and in, like clinically, it's like irrational beliefs. They're, yeah. They're thinking errors. Yeah. And we still have them. If you, if you believe you're not enough, if you believe that you're unworthy of love, if you believe that you'll never find love, um, those you're screwed. And I've thought that a lot of part of my life and it turns out I was wrong. Ugh. And if I could be wrong about that stuff, I wonder as a, as an adult thinking man, like what else might I be yeah. wrong about, about you, about my neighbor, about our community, 
about God, about love, about relationships. I mean, I, unless my thoughts for me today are everything's just the way it's supposed to be, I'm probably thinking the wrong way. I'm yeah. not, not really living in reality. Yeah. So it's, it's been a journey. I, I know that's sort of a capsule of all of that, but I, um, the drug and alcohol piece was long and painful, and it was fun for a while. It was fun almost through college. Yeah. So up until like 22, and like I like to kind of joke, only the last 15 or 16 years were like suicidally depressing. Yeah. yeah. Only the last 15 or 16? Wow, that's a long time. It's a, right, it's a long time. Right, it's a long time. Yeah. But I see it now and it's like, it was hell. Oh, I'm just, I'm just grateful that that's a lot of time to be in such a dark place. And I'm, Mark, I'm extremely grateful that you held on. Because oh, it, it's, too. I think it's a lot easier to, to and, and sometimes, and I, and I say that word easy, and I don't mean it because I know that's, some some listeners may have had people in their families that have committed suicide and that's i don't mean to to in any way um yeah you know minimize what I'm saying. yeah exactly impact, thank right. you for filling me in there but minimize that because it's not easy no that's the darkest thing in the world but i think sticking when you're in those moments sticking it through and sticking out is so hard and and there's obviously mental health problems there there can be many things that are putting you down there, but to be there for that long, that's a long time to stick it out. And, and I, I just, kudos to you. I, I think that's pretty awesome. Well, I, I would only say kudos to God. Yeah. I, Thank you. Left to myself. I, I mean, I, you, I, you I already, you got there because of you, right? You're stinking well, thinking. My, right. And I got out of it with my actions, right? Like yeah. I, but I, I think the strength, the willingness, the encouragement comes from God. Yeah. And I want to talk about that. So before we do though, take me back. So you started in high school, you started drinking and, and from what you were saying is you sound a lot. So, so old addict, right? Old, old alcoholic yeah. in recovery, um, myself and that, that state that you were in, it kind of reminds me of mine where I thought that if I was in my own brain, that people didn't like me and that I, there was something wrong with me and that I wasn't funny. I wasn't cool. I wasn't this, that, and the other. And yet here I am, I'm a pretty good athlete and I usually had girlfriends back at that time, but it was interesting how that would work out. And I feel like that's something we kind of do to ourselves because we almost don't want to be stuck in our own minds and feeling shame somehow that people, we won't fit in. Right. Right. And so we go to these substances that can kind of take our brains to a different place. So we don't have to worry about that stuff. And then all of a sudden we're looser we can have a little bit more fun and we're not, we're relaxed on that. Right. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself, but, but I, I, I just somehow, somehow we've got to help kids understand that they don't need that stuff right. to feel that way. Well, it's interesting. I, cause I think of young, um, when you say that stuff, like I did not know that was going on at the time. Yeah. Right. Like I wasn't conscious and I, I've, I've come to know, I study humans and I study our brains and I, it's what I do for a living. Um, and the male brain, us guys are kind of a little slower. Are, the male brain fully develops at 29 years old. Isn't that amazing? And the female brain's about 26. So um, I would say more like eight years old. Well, I, my, right, daughter, my, right. <laughs> my daughter Savannah runs this house. I right, mean. <laughs> right. And, um, but knowing that is, you know, I, I have a 17-year-old son who's like amazingly mature for 17, but is 17. 
And I remind him, if you decide to, to take drugs or to drink alcohol, that you're going to be poisoning a very young brain. Yeah. And um, I don't know that it gets better when you're an adult as far as the poison for the brain, but um, it's, you know, we're messing with very young brains that I don't think are conscious of this. I for sure didn't know at 16, well, I finally found a solution to talking to girls. Yeah. Consciously, it, it acted out that way, but I didn't know oh, now I'm a little more comfortable in my own shoes. Sure. Now I can go home and talk to my parents more reasonably. I mean, yeah. Just crazy thinking. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we know that as kids, that we don't fit in. Maybe we do. I don't I don't remember like consciously thinking, well, I don't really fit in here. And then sure. I meet the stoners and I'm like, oh, well, these are my boys. Sure. Um, it just sort of evolved that way yeah. for me. And I yeah. think for a lot of people that turn to drugs and alcohol, it's... It feels good at first, man. It feels better than the shame and the sadness and the disconnection, right? And the um, totally one of the the things I've heard, and I, you know, connection is really what I was craving the whole time, and I was connected to alcohol and drugs for sure. Amen. I was willing to do whatever they said, and now it's human beings and a higher power and that stuff that I think is drives that desire to stay clean. It's like I want more connection. It feels so good. Feels better than drugs and alcohol for sure. I, I've, I've been there. I know what yeah. you're saying. It's, it's absolutely true. That human connection, we all crave it. We want to feel important. We want to feel like we're, we're somebody to somebody else, you know, and that human connection is so important. And sometimes we just don't know how we look at people and we're like, the grass is always greener, you know, like they seem to have perfect lives. There's no way they're going to accept me. There's no way they're going to love me. And so I think, I think one of the good lessons that I'm listening to here is, is as a parent, how can I help my kids? I, first of all, clear conversation, being transparent, talking about these things is real things that we go through while we're growing up and reminding them often that that's okay. Don't be ashamed of that. Right. But keep practicing. Keep going at it. You'll get better at it. You've got to work at it. It's not something anybody just has naturally, right? So I, I want to, okay, so keep going with your journey. We, we talked about that. We, we talked about how you had quite a few years after that. Started in high school, yep. right? Yep. Kind of went through your college years up to the point where you actually got married, were you were you an alcoholic when you got married? I was a full alcoholic. So the, the first, uh, uh, I'm on wife number three. Okay. I think I got it this time. Okay. Um, the first woman I married was, had never tried cocaine. Cocaine was my drug of choice, alcohol okay. and cocaine. Yeah. And um, when I met her, and I, I don't remember exactly how I introduced it to her, but probably rather forcefully because that's just what I did. Sure. And she had agreed to do that because she wanted to hang out with me. Yeah. And we got married. And um, So that was before you got married? That was before I got married. Okay. I introduced cocaine to her. Yep. And then I went to my first treatment in that marriage. Okay. And stayed sober for four days out of rehab. Okay. I'm not a guy that can stay sober out of rehab, in rehab, unless I have a spiritual experience. Okay. I mean, gotta, something's got to change sure. dramatically. So. Um, that marriage ended. I was faced with uh, the question from her, like, make a decision. Is it me or the drugs and alcohol? And it was a really difficult uh, conversation because it was, for me, it was a no-brainer. And that's how oppressive the drug addiction is, that I would tell a human being that these substances and this, like, this thing that's killing me, I'm in love with that more than that's you. what I choose, and I, you know, having to go back and, and make it right with her that I could say those words to a human being is pretty hard to, yeah, hard to settle. But wow. I, I did that and I told her I, I'm, I, 
care about you, but I, I'm not stopping this. Yeah, stuff. this is the life that I want to live. So then you then you continue forward. You go into marriage number two. Marriage number two is the one uh, the the woman that has both my kids. Okay. My kids with. So okay. So you still full blown addict. Full blown. When you get married. Well, we got married like five years after the kids were. Okay. So we, okay. we met and I was a full-blown addict. Okay. Alcoholic. And I told her I was sober, I'm sure. Um, I told her I wanted to be sober. She met a sponsor. She I had all that stuff going on. I've probably been to a couple thousand meetings before I got sober in AA. Um, she left. And on that 9th of October of 02, I, I went to a meeting I usually go to. Um, was high. I'm sure I'd been drinking and sat with some friends and they kind of laughed. That's kind of what you do when a buddy comes, but it's like, come on, dude, come see what we're doing a day at a time. And I, I'd heard all that stuff before. And I thought Thursday, the next day I'd probably drink and use and I didn't. Yeah. And I was pretty sure the next day I would, cause I just did that. Yeah. And so far I haven't. Yeah. And that was the beginning of moving towards the light. So, so let's talk about that, that point. This is wife number two. Yeah. And that moment where she's driving away, five-year-old little girl, pregnant belly, little boy coming along the way. You didn't know at the time. What was your mindset at that point? Were you, were you to the point where you were able to consciously be aware and say, this hurts so bad. It's so dark. Or were you, were the drugs kind of putting you in a place where it's like, okay, well this sucks, but like, I'm going to keep. No, this was, um. Uh, and I had gotten to this point before, but what I was thinking then was you're in pretty bad trouble, Mark. Like you can't stop and you can't not stop. Like you have got to stop. And you, it's, it's, we call that sort of the alcoholic conflict, the jumping off point. And I, it's the fork in the road, like, and I've been there before. Right. So it didn't feel different that night. Um, I, I for sure didn't know I'd get sober the next day or I would have drank a lot more. Sure. It, it wasn't that. Sure. It was just sort of a garden variety day. Sure. Um, and I, but I do remember thinking that I'd sure like to try being a dad. I'd sure like to, cause I love my dad and he's just such a great dad. dad. And I thought I'm a really good uncle. My, but my sisters have kids and I, I'd sort of practice some of that, not sober, but you know, I can be sober for the event. Yeah. But I, um, you're present enough to be a good uncle. So, um, I've always loved kids and I just thought, I just, come on, dude. And I, you know, which again, I had said, I can't even countless times. Well, and you'd been to, at this point in your life, you'd been to AA how many times? So you knew the steps that needed to be taken for the best chances to overcome alcohol. So in your brain, you already know all these answers. I knew the answers. I just wasn't willing to do the work. Right. And so you see this, you're in your dark, dark moment, seeing him leave and you've got all these things in your brain of what you need to do, but you aren't committed to being able to say, okay, I can do this. I got this. You didn't know. You were still I for that. sure could not do it. Yeah. Right? I was more convinced I can't do it. Like I need a higher power that I don't really know anything about yet. So at that moment, were you saying that to yourself? Were you saying, okay, I'm going to AA. I'm learning about... God, in, in, in AA, we don't necessarily say God, it's, it's find that greater spirit, that greater light. And were, were you at that point, were you thinking that way or were you still kind of going, okay, whatever, I'll go to the meeting tomorrow and, and we'll go from here. Probably the second. I, cause I don't, 
I kind of thought I was a hopeless alcoholic. I hadn't clicked yet. Well, I just had so much experience of like the day she left. If it wasn't her, it was the wife before or the girlfriend before or a boss before. Like I was not on a winning streak of any sort. Like it was. um, It's a pattern. And only this, for my whole life. Yeah, this was like, the pattern. So I, so what, I don't think I thought I could be sober. So I'll tell a little brief story. Yeah, so please. that was thir- that was Wednesday night. Okay. You got all the, all the, I love how you have all these dates memorized. Well, I, great. it just happened to be... So Thursday, I went to a couple meetings with a buddy. And Friday, I went to some meetings. And I had a sponsor. And he told me we were going to go to this cocaine anonymous convention yeah. and i'm like i, I don't want to go he goes great i'll be there at five right? yeah. <laughs> which is what they do yep. like it doesn't matter if you want to and it's still true today it doesn't matter if i want to or if i understand why do it anyway yeah and i do that with prayer i do that with making my right. bed i do that with calling another out like it i i don't know why really i mean i got have a better idea today yeah but it doesn't necessarily make sense. And yeah. I think recovery is about a lot of things that don't necessarily make sense on the surface until you look back. Yeah. So, um, so Wednesday that. night, Wednesday night was that night. Okay. But I want to jump to Saturday morning. Let's do it. So Saturday morning, I, I was going to meet a guy who had probably 14 years sober for racquetball. Cause I also had a belief that if I worked out harder, I could be. Sober. Yeah. Your body you would somehow. Yep. Not true. Yeah. Not true. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for all these things outside of me to fix my insides. Sure. So, um, isn't it interesting? I'm going to just real quick and keep, keep on that train of thought, but isn't that interesting what you just said? We look for all these external things to make us happy on Drugs, the inside. It alcohol, doesn't women, happen. money, yeah. food, money, fame, money, profession, right. titles, right? right. I mean, Prestige, you name it. Yes. Property, cars. Power. Yeah. Um, so I'm meeting this guy. He's one of the weirder dudes in AA. <laughs> of a like of a host of weirdos. Yeah. Like me too. Yeah. In there. Well, well uh, when you when you first go to AA, the guys that actually like know the program and it's they seem worked. weird they seem like you're, you listen to him the first couple of times you're like i don't know what the heck they're so, i don't swear yeah kind of i don't weird. struggle with pride what's he talking about you have no idea so i'm meeting this guy it's, and then i we're of course we're meeting at six in the morning because i have a second belief that if i do it earlier in the day i'll be ahead of the game oh yeah so i get there and i'm on the elliptical thing kind of warming up and i'm like how in the world has this guy been sober 14 or 15 it was somewhere around there and I had heard this in meetings for thousands of times, but the spiritual significance, this feels like my first kind of awakening in recovery as a awesome. sober guy was one day at a time, Yeah, which I had heard and I had dismissed. It just hadn't like, set I gotta in. I got to stay sober forever. Yeah. And, um, and it was a Saturday morning and I'm like, Mark, you can stay sober Saturday. Like one all day. day today. Oh my gosh. That's how this is. So the, it was overwhelming. I mean, I was like floored and I believed from that moment, my third day sober that I could stay sober a day at a time. And here I am, I'll be 18 in two days. I mean, I, I I didn't, I I guess at that point I believed I'd get to 18 years sometime, but I haven't really, I don't think that. That's amazing. So that was the moment really. And it was like 603. I was kind of mad because he was late. I was kind of mad because I didn't sleep and, you know, but I was open enough to be like, how? And so I really thank this guy I, to, to this day. He's a friend of mine. And I'm like, I, I think I had my first spiritual experience because you're a guy that I couldn't imagine could be sober. And like, I'm judging that. <laughs> Mr. Like, you can get two days sober at the most. Yeah. I'm judging these other people. Yeah. 
and their quality of what you know i mean as my quality of life is like zero and i'm judging the quality of their life that i don't know sure he probably has this lovely life it turns out he does yeah. and so um that was quite a profound moment for me and one I, um, day at a time one day the at end, time. Period, the end period right? so or, wake up get your mind right get focused one day at a time you can do this I for sure could not drink for a whole day Yeah, because I'd done that for some days. And I'm like, that's all we're doing here just today. And whatever day it is, like I could drink tomorrow. I don't think that way, but yeah. it's never tomorrow, right? If I'm really being present and mindful, it's, yep. it's just today. You got to lock so, it in there. Yeah. And it sort of makes it simpler too, because mm -hmm. I'm a guy that really wants to complicate things. Totally. Um, totally. I don't, but my brain does. And so, um, as I've, you know, tried to help people along the way. I'm like, man, just settle into that for a second. Yeah. Like, like if it's, I mean, tonight's Thursday, like it's Thursday night. Can you see sober the rest of Thursday night? Yeah. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. Great. Go with that. Yeah. Great start. Awesome. Yeah. So, so here's the start. Here's the start. So what are the other steps that happened for you to really make sure that this one day at a time theme yeah. stayed true so, to you in your heart? So I'm a guy um, that... Again, I've been to a lot of twelve-step meetings. I've been to rehabs, and I'm a, I'm a guy that lives in AA. Currently. Yeah, yeah. I, I um I espouse that. I don't. We're not. We don't promote it. But I'm a guy that's a product of really good sponsorship, and of like straightforward kind of hardcore Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. So, what that means to me is there are twelve steps, and there are instructions for those twelve steps. It's a process. I did that with my first sponsor probably in 45, 90 days, 60, 90 days, pretty quick. Cause he said, the way you go, you, you know, do like step one and drink. Why don't we get the step? Like, let's get you through let's, the steps to the best of your ability let's right go. now. Yeah, let's go. So we went and, you know, bless this man. This, he's a, such a dear friend. What's his name? His you name's mind. Chick Beaner. Chick Beaner. Is he in Utah? It's, we're supposed to be anonymous. Chick B. He wouldn't D mind. Hey, Chick B, you're a hero. This is different. So. And he doesn't mind, but yeah. he, um, He's in Utah and he was my, and I think he's the guy that my family would say, that's the dude that saved Mark's life. Yeah. He's and, a hero. And I tell him that when I see him and we have, um, we connected today a little bit. So it was probably a year. So I, the one thing I've done different this time is take all 12 steps. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Um, and not drink yeah. or use drugs. And so, um, it's probably nine or 10 months sober and dudes were asking me to sponsor them. And I asked Chick, I said, I'd like to get another sponsor. And he said, please, you need all the help you can get. Yeah. Go get some more. Isn't that awesome? So I asked a guy whose name's Brian E, who is my current sponsor for yeah. 17 years. Brian and I have talked and he knows me better than any other man knows me. Yeah. And apparently still loves me. <laughs> yeah. Which is the message, yes. right? That is like, yes. can I be as vulnerable and as transparent and as open with one or two other human, I'm not looking to be an open book to the planet, right? Like about some of the dark stuff, some of the, the weird thinking. And I share that with him and he just laughs. And he reminds me that God, like I, we have this version that we're like God's favorite, amongst God's favorite little dudes that yeah. he just chuckles a lot. <laughs> God's laughing. He's like, yeah. are they cute yeah. at that age? Look at these two. They're, yeah. like, they're just adorable. Yeah. And, and we think that about everybody. Like yeah. that, God just is so grateful that we're still in the game and we're like, let's go little buddy. And I, you know, I'm 57, but I'm like, I can imagine like a, 
a higher power, just kind of chuckling, going, come on, little buddy, get back up. Here you go, pal. Totally. boy. Yeah. God, looks So good. proud doing, of us for right. the little things. So I have that version, which just helps me. And, yeah. it, and it's evolved into that today where um, it's a relationship, it's a friendship, it's yep. a partnership. It's, I, I am... I am so reliant upon a higher power. It's, you know, and I just know that I don't, you know, like people are like, Oh, it's a big birthday. Count. Like man, all the thanks to God. I tried to get sober on my own. I cannot get, I've tried lots of things on my own. I need, I need more help. Yeah. So, so you said something that I think is so valuable. Well, there's many things you said that are so valuable. The little buddy thing is pretty cool too. Yeah. Um, vulnerability is, so hard but it's so important and it's so powerful um in that moment where you talked about your sponsors and how you got vulnerable they know you better than anybody else right what did being vulnerable do for you well, when you got to that point kind of simply it enhanced our connection that's and what you that's, were looking for that's right what vulnerability I, I know that because i study this stuff that it is the thread to connection. It feels I like love that. if I'm vulnerable with you, it will be a weakness. I, I think that in my brain and yeah. human beings, I, I study you guys. I know about <laughs> you little, you little, the guys, right? right? No, all you listening <laughs> that are out yes, there yes. that we think if we're vulnerable, that somebody will think we're weak. We're ruined. And the truth is, and I only could look back on my experience when I'd watched other people get vulnerable. I was like, man, I wish I could good for them. Uh, oh, I know them a little differently than I thought I knew them. I actually know them better, which is that deeper connection. Love. Love, right. And can I add some acceptance for, oh, they're not that different than me, although they've taken the step to get vulnerable. Yeah. And it is, you know, it, it it's, it's, it's buried, our vulnerability is buried by shame. Totally. You won't love me if I tell you really some stuff about me. Wow. And it's a mis- it's it is that is a thinking error that yeah. is an irrational belief that I have that I get to disprove as I connect to people that turns out they love me for that stuff. Isn't that interesting? The stuff I thought was my weakness turns out to be my strength. And people love you for your weaknesses and right. your ability to your talk. Ab- yes, your ability to talk about you and the struggles and being vulnerable. It all of a sudden you learn who truly loves you. And, and I've learned in my life, Mark, when I've gotten vulnerable, I haven't had a single person that's like, dude, Later, you're dude, awful. Right. Out. I'm out. Peace out. No, like it doesn't happen. It's that. the opposite. And of course, of course, at first we're, we're careful where we're vulnerable and who we are because it, we're scared. Right. But as soon as you open up and, and, and you, maybe you start with your family or your close friends and, and you start to tell your story and what you struggle with people wrap their arms around right. you and they love you. And then all of a sudden they're telling you what they're vulnerable about, what what's happening in their life and you love them. And it, it's just this bond that's I created. I think it speaks to the hour we spent on your front lawn. And yes. I don't think we yes. told too many dark secrets, but no. we got to know each other. And, and we talked openly and, and, and very, you know, like this Friends is who I am. Yeah. And, and I, and you know what, Mark, I've, I've, I think it's interesting because as you go throughout life, you find you 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 find people that are pretty open with you right when you meet them, and those people are usually people most times that have gone through some very difficult things, and they have nothing to hide from you. They don't want to because they want to connect with you, and right. that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So 
This is this is awesome. I mean, there, there's so there's so much goodness here, and and, and I, I love listening to you talk because as you do, these steps and these things that we learn um, that are proven proven steps for alcoholics for anybody right. that that wants to do anything with their lives, um, they're they're proven. And and hearing you talk about them, it just reminds me as a as a parent or as a husband, uh, as an employee of a company, these are very important things in my life to continue to do in every single one of these facets because it makes me better, makes right. me stronger, and it helps me to grow. So I love talking to you about this. So, okay, vulnerability. You're, you've got these two sponsors. What's the, ne- like, what's the next steps for so you? So I get, um, I have some employment. I actually, um, I don't even know if this is important, but I, so I stopped drinking and using, but I kept stealing. I happened to be okay. a thief, and I got my only felonies I've gotten in my life in my sobriety. Okay, interesting. And that story seems to help other guys that continue stealing. And I'm like, I do what you want, but like I got caught finally, and yeah. I, I did it drunk and high, and didn't get caught, and I got caught, and um, grateful for that experience because yeah. since then I've I don't steal anymore. Which is interesting because you could be you could be like, okay, God here I am not drinking. Right. I still, and, and now I'm, now I'm getting busted for it. But back when I was drinking, I was a full blown wreck and I stole and nothing happened. No, like that my, could have been a bitter was, moment for you. Mine was, this is more than just not drinking Mark. It's actually not really about not drinking. It's about changing the, the things about you that don't work. So all of a sudden accountability starts to come to your mind. Um, so I, I got a, a, a job in a treatment center and this a friend of mine from AA had called. He's like, I just opened a place. Do you want to come be our rec manager, our rec guy on Wednesdays? Yeah. Like, of course, like, let's go hiking. Let's so this. I take the dudes hiking. And Thursday he called and said, our house manager just quit. Do you want to be the house manager? And I said, well, what, is, what does being a house manager mean? And he said, well, you cook for the dudes and you, you, know, you repair things around the house that are broken or need, need attention. And I said, well... I don't cook and I don't know how to fix things, but I'll take the <laughs> I'm job. I'm in. I'm in. And he said, great. And so um, I started working there and I started helping other guys. And I, um, and the interesting thing about helping other guys is I don't know if it really helps them or not, but I know it helps me. You. And that's an interesting thing about service or about giving back is um, I don't know if these guys want the stuff I offer. And it's not really my stuff. I mostly offer God. Yeah. Like, and not even... Um, I'm really careful not to push or promote or talk anyone into into God because I, I think that doesn't work for anybody. Yeah, I think it is, and I'm not really interested in like the understanding of God. I'm I'm really interested in accessing the power. I love it. There's so much power that like could keep me sober and connect you and me to this planet, right? Yeah. Um, so I started working, and one of the guys there um, was the therapist, and he's making way more than the house manager. Sure. And I thought, I could, maybe I'd go back to school and get my graduate degree. So I was probably a year and a half sober and went and got a master's degree. How cool. And um, certified, licensed as a mental health therapist. And I've been working in treatment since that day. Started taking accountability in life. Life just started opening doors. Yep. God. And, my, and my kids were growing up and um, I did grad school. It's funny because I'd go to an AA meeting every day. I was uh, got straight A's in grad school. Yeah. And was a dad for for little kids, and involved in school, and was married, and was um, and was not too busy, and worked full time, 
And, you know, I have people in recovery, like I'm too busy to go to meetings. I'm like, well, anything you put before your recovery, you're probably going to lose. And they scoff and I scoffed at that. And then I lost it. Yeah. Um, and to this day, my kids know that my recovery is the most important thing to me. Yeah. It's not, I don't quantify it. Like sure. it's more, I love it more than my kid. I mean, I adore my kids and yeah. my wife and my family. But I don't have any of that if I'm not sober. I, I love that. And that's that's the piece right there that's that's so important too, is right. Y- your kids understand and that, hey, look, for dad to be his best for us and for dad to love us the way that he should, this is something that's important to him. And you know what? We all have those things, right? right. For me, it's, you know, I got to get up in the morning and work out and, and study my right. scriptures, right? right. I, I feel at peace and it puts me in a really good place. And if I don't do that, I'm kind of missing a little bit that day. And if it turns into a habit to miss those things, then all of a sudden I'm missing that in my life. I I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. We, we all have to have those things. Well, and the people around me know that. And yeah. I don't think my kids ever, Oh, he loves being sober more than he loves us. Like, no, it's, it's not because of it. That's not the exact they, they reason. Just, right. And they, and I, you know, I've been transparent with them, maybe a little oversharing sometimes, but I, uh, <laughs> maybe not. Like, yeah. They're both very mature human beings. And so, um, and, you know, one of the things I know is my, my experience will not necessarily deter my kids from trying drugs and alcohol or turning into alcohol. I don't know. Sure. But genetically, my son for sure has that bug. Sure. Um, but I do know they know where to go for help. Sure. And that is priceless. Amen. Because most of my life, I just thought I was all alone and wandering around and like, no, nobody would understand this level of sadness, loneliness separation from other human beings like nobody would understand that and it turns out a bunch of us understand that you're not alone you know we got to find somebody that we could connect to about some of the darkness too and then and when we we come around and we see that the darkness has passed and they're living in some light then we get some hope and i think AA does, like i go there and these guys are laughing and having a good time and i'm kind of upset about that yeah it bothers you at first it's uncomfortable. But I had to see where people were living sober lives that were happy because I'd get, I, I don't have an alcohol problem. I have a sober problem. Yeah. Like I'm only really troubled when I'm sober. Yeah. Until I find another substitute for alcohol, which turns out is God. Yeah. I love it. And I, if you told me that, and I think they did, I would have been, no, thank you. I'm That's, good. That doesn't make sense. Yep. Because I had this notion of God as, an old dude with a beard and a staff on a cloud. Because I'd seen pictures. Yeah. I've gone to your Mormon church. Yeah. I see the picture. And I don't want to discount that, but like that's not my... Today, like love is my version of it. Amen. Like, again, it's too big for me to define, but like love is about as close as I can get to defining God. And it's a powerful love. Oof. It's a powerful love. Yeah. I, I'm with you. Let's, let's stick on this God okay. thing for a minute. Not this God thing, but God yeah. for a minute. Um, first of all, I, um, yeah, when you, when you first start going, I've been there and, and you hear these guys that have been, or ladies, guys that have been in this for a while and they've, they're going on 15, 20, 30 years, whatever. And they're still going. You're kind of, first of all, like, I'm not going to ever be that guy that has to continue to go all the time. Like when I want to stop, I'm going to stop, but there's a reason that you're there. It's cause you can't. And they're talking about these things and they're not necessarily talking about what alcohol or the drug are and why they, they are compelled to continue to go back to it. 
they start talking about their personal lives and you hear things like pride and unwillingness to listen and to say yes to certain things, right? It's, you get stuck in your own mindset thinking that you know all the answers, that you've got them and that when you're ready to stop, because you're not right now, you will stop and then your life will be great and whatever. Um, or you're just stuck in such a darkness, you don't even, like it's in one ear out the other and you look at the floor the entire time. Been in both. Um, but all of a sudden, if you continue to go and if even a little inkling of a desire is in your heart and you continue to go and you show up, then all of a sudden after time, you start to hear these people talk and you start to go, huh, this is interesting. What they're saying, like, I'm starting to see this different. I'm starting to understand what they're saying. And it's not, at first it sounded very foreign, but all of a sudden it's speaking to my heart right. and I get it. It's and a then, different language. Right. And then you start to, you start to kind of progress and, and, and take those little steps. Now, you've talked a lot about God. Tell me, and, and I, again, I know we're not trying to define God. We're not here to preach a, God, a, a sermon or a doctor or anything, but what, how did you, how did you see that clearly you needed to make that connection and what did you do or what happened? Well, I think, I think I saw it because I heard all these guys saying, um, I mean, I, there were guys in meetings that were like, find God or die. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's kind of a, that's a rough message. Now, think I almost believe that today. I would never say that. Um, but it seems to be the case. And, um, there's a, a caveat in AA that is just one of the most glorious things ever. That is a higher power of my understanding. And, um, again, grew up Jewish, um, really quite a religious kid, bar mitzvah confirmed, really active, loved it till I found a new higher power marijuana. Right. I mean, I, just the timing was just uncanny yeah right? like right after my bar mitzvah i found pot yeah and it's like oh so this higher power of my understanding and i i almost think of it as this higher power of my not understanding because I, I just don't understand and i don't i don't really seek to understand i seek to to connect connect i don't i'm not really looking for more of an understanding of god i'm looking for more of god yeah and i uh, when i look um at you and when i look at others i can find it yeah and when I look at the differences, I don't find it. Yeah. When I find that we're all equal, like I don't think I, I don't think this. I'm certain that God doesn't love any of us less than anyone no. else. Nope. No matter what your skin color, no matter what your history and your life pattern and your upbringing, it like I don't think that. And when I kind of joked earlier that I'm one of his favorites, I think I'm one of his seven billion favorites. Right. That, um, and I don't think it's a he necessarily. I don't really. It's sort of convenient, uh, even in AA, to say God, and they talk like it's it's sort of what we know. Sure. Um, but this this notion of a, a power of my understanding, and I really like the thought of power. Like I, the lights are on, the, yeah. pow the power's on, and yeah. I'm feeling empowered, connected, connected. But yeah. I also get empowered to yeah. make good decisions about my life. I love to, that. To do like I I with with my higher power, I'm I'm a powerful, dude. I'm a a pretty strong man. I have a, a, a influence on quite a few people. It changes your heart. What I do, but I think it's, you know, on my own. Well, there's this notion also in recovery that we just line our will up with God's. Yeah. And we end up just mostly doing the right thing. Yeah. I'm happy to give the credit. I don't need it. Um, 
sometimes I forget that and think, man, you are the man. <laughs> um, and I, and, and I kind of like, it doesn't, I don't really need that. And, um, but I think with God's help, I'm the man. Yeah. Like I, I get to help people. I get to be the, like I am present in my family. And and that's where that power word comes in. Right. It empowers you. Right. He empowers it. Right. I'm Sorry. Higher power. Whether it's a he, yeah. The, your right. higher power, it empowers you. Right. And when it's you just can, an interesting totally. word and concept of, particularly with like electricity, like we have power to run our lives. Yeah. Like we need things. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> so for years and years and years and generations, there's this understanding that when we are lost and we are dark and we are fallen, one of the important steps, I mean, there's so many, like be honest, be transparent, tell the full truth, right? Um, so many things. One of the most important things, though, is to connect with God. It empowers you. And, and going back to the idea of aligning your will, I think one of the beauties is when you're an, when you're an alcoholic, when you're an addict, there's a part of you that tries to control the outcome of your life. And Probably you think, think, right? And you think the substance is going to give you exactly what you want. And it's such, a, it's such an immediate fix. Right. It gets you in immediately to this place where you think it's going to help you get where you want to go. But the problem is you can't stay there. You usually do too much. You black out or whatever. And it's just, it's, it becomes a very dark and loathsome thing. And then, and then you get to the point where you can't stop. And it's got control of your life. So that idea of control is completely lost by this thing you thought was going to give you control of where you wanted to get to. Right. And God, isn't, that's not the way he works. He teaches you accountability, how to take ownership of your life. And, and I'll tell you, we, we talked about this before we actually started. When you, take, when you realize that it's your opportunity to choose for yourself what to make of yourself, what choices you have in this life, is there a more beautiful thing than that it's just the free will and the um it's interesting because i think about um when i don't want to do things which is quite a bit <laughs> like i kind of think like golfing and laying around and and riding my bike sound perfect sure um but i have a job and i'm a dad and i'm a husband and a son for sure a son i'm doing lots with my pops but um you know what's the thing to do and it doesn't it doesn't even matter if I don't want to go to work, I go to work. It doesn't matter if I don't want to go to a meeting. I go, like somehow the powers kind of come into me to, to do the right thing and do the next thing. And I don't always do the right thing, but I um, mostly do. Yeah. And I think it's, and I, it, this isn't unique to me. I want to, like, I, I, I learned that from watching other people yeah. do mostly the right thing and show up when they said they were going to show up. And like, I remember get, going to work for 30 days in a row. I remember the first month sober, I'd gone to work and I told my wife, I'm like, honey, my gosh, I went to work every day this month. She said, well, so I don't what? know what the big deal is. I've had the same job for 12 years. Yeah. And I, we just, I just think a little differently, like that I need a parade for going to work for 30 days. Well, no one else does. And I don't steal from my dad anymore. I think I need like a statue erected in front of his old folks home. Well, that's not the way we go, right? <laughs> so I think as we, for me, as I've sort of evolved and hopefully matured a little bit, it's like I'm sort of more of a garden variety guy because I thought my depression and my alcoholism were worse than anyone. Yeah. And then I thought my recovery, like I was the man. I yeah. was just like I have more than that guy or I'm closer to God than that. And it, 
Turns out I'm kind of right in the middle. Yeah. Which feels really nice. It's comfortable. If I tip a little bit, I got people around me. If I'm in the middle, if I'm on the edge and I tip, I might fall out of the boat. Yeah. So being sort of a garden variety guy, and for me, I'm having an amazing experience. But I, like I think that. in the world, I'm just a dude. Yeah. And I, I can abide that. I can really... That feels comfortable. You feel so much value and worth. Comfortable. Yeah. When you're a kid, you think you have to be something, and you there there's there's expectations, right? There's you got to live up to this. You got to be this. You got to compete with this. You have to make a name for yourself. This how and if you're if you fall under this dollar amount, then you are somebody. Right. But I love I and I've never heard it put like the garden variety, but it's interesting how we get so far ahead of ourselves. Sometimes we start to lose ourselves. But when we can slow down, when we can connect yes. with God and, and through prayer or meditation or whatever it is that we, for yourself. Both of those things. Yeah. For sure. Right. When, when we connect with God, it's almost like we slow down and we start to see our vision become so much more clear and we are attracted automatically to those things that are going to bring us peace and joy and light because we know that when we're in those things, we are connected to God. I was just thinking about this for some reason, and I um, was thinking about prayer and, and the nature of my prayers now. And before they were like, help me get out of this and help me, you know, keep my wife. And they were, I was asking for stuff. It was kind of like desperation. Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my now, buddy calls it a vending machine from heaven. Right. Right. Which is, is empty. Yeah. Because that's not the way it works. Yeah. Thanks, Jake Watts. Um, but my, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, he said something the other day to that. me and he goes, yeah, God's not a vending machine up in heaven that we just, you know, put oh, It's like a there. Santa Claus. Yeah. And so now it's, you know, my morning prayer is mostly like, please. And my evening prayer is thank you. Thank you. And it's, um, I don't know about any, like I was taught to say those things when I was little. Yeah. And my, you know, my mom particularly just drove that stuff home. And I think I, I can complicate the prayer thing and the meditation. Yeah. And it is. Like, please, and I know what that means for me. It's like, please help me just be all the man I Put can be. Put me where you want me to be Thank at you. the time. Yeah. Thank you for this amazing life. Like, yeah. And I think, you know, the thing that's changed mostly is my perspective. Yeah. It is, um, I didn't start making a ton of money. I didn't start having all this stuff. But inside, my perspective, and, and my son put this, he was kind of funny a couple summers ago. He said, you know, dad, I think you think your life is way better than it really is. <laughs> and it was a compliment. I mean, he did. Congratulations. He, he was sort of making a critic, like, yeah. you know, you go to bed early, you read a lot yeah. before you do this weird stuff. And I was like, oh my goodness. Thank you. That like feels that. good. And, um, I do think it's better than maybe, it, I don't know. I You're think grateful. I have the best life. You are so grateful. And, um, it's, I love that. You know, I'm married to the woman that I wanted to be married to for a long time. And I have, Two kids that are like, if I could handpick children, I've got those kids. And if I could do particular work that I could make up a, a job or a, a profession or a, a career, like I do that. Yeah. One of the luckiest guys I know. You're and I, I don't know that people, I don't really care, but I don't, like people around me are like, that's probably the luckiest guy I know. Yeah. But my version is like, I've, thank you. Amen. That's my version you, is you, thank you. You connect that back to God. So as you of connect, course. as you connect to him, uh, him or, or what, easy. Yeah, yeah, right, it's convenient. right. But it's alcoholics, it's no, a her. your it's light, a her. whatever it's it is, a her. as no. you connect to God, we'll leave it at that <laughs> doors open. 
And, and it's interesting, Mark, my life parallels you very much in a lot of things. But as, as you, I learned the same thing about prayer when I started to recover and I was in recovery, my prayers stopped being, please remove this from me or take this from me or put me here or do this for me, please, please, please. It became, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Put me where you just, just help me. My timing of life, help me to be where I need to be around the people I need to be around at the time you need me there and help me say and do the right things. That's Amen. all it is. Yep. And thank you for, thank you for what happened today and what happened yesterday. And all of a sudden is that connections there. You, I mean, you're talking to God throughout the day oh, yeah. in your brain and in your heart. It's a we're constant. Laugh. We're laughing a lot. Amen. We're, it, right. We're just chuckling. And like, sometimes you laugh and go, what the heck was that? Right. Like we have, I know right? that's there for a yes. reason. I can't see it yet, but <laughs> yes. I'm sure there's a lesson. Coming. But it, it's a beauty. It's, there is more serenity there than I've ever felt. And, and what's interesting is then at the end of the day, when you get on your knees, it does, not even words have to be used a whole lot, right. but that connection is just one of gratitude and you feel, you feel that love and you feel, you, you give that love right back and you just feel so connected. Okay. One so, thing I'm thinking about that yeah, real quickly yeah, is yeah. that I think about like when I, from the darkness into the delight a little bit was I had some version that God had abandoned me. And I think what I'm, what I'm understanding more and more now is that for sure, I'm certain in my experience, that was not the case. I just hadn't asked. I think that this version of God, whatever that is, is like just waiting for me to ask. Got to make a choice. And it is the action to say, please. Yeah. Like I, I think I need, I'm ready to accept some help. Yes. It's been there all along. Yep. I've not wanted it. My ego has said, come on, Mark, you can do it. You're a man. Pride. You're a strong dude. Yeah. It's pride. Pride. It's ego. It's arrogance. It's insecurity. Yes. It's the unwillingness Fear. to feel like, well, who's going to get the credit then? Yeah. Because, you know, I need some sort of recognition. Yeah. As a, and I, I think humans really suffer from that, that it is. Um, anyway, I just think that like this, this light was always there. I just needed to flip the switch. You had to make the choice. Right. And do it. Yes. Because I've made choices to be sober. Choice I just didn't and action behind action. it. I like it. I like Follow it. Um, okay. So a couple things. Tell me, like, what is the, what are the actions that you did? So here's what I probably still do every day. Yeah. For my whole sobriety. Sure. I make my bed. Cool. <laughs> I, man, the guy that hired me at the first treatment center, dear friend, he would tell the group, he's like, make your bleeping bed. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa, dude. He's like, there's spiritual significance in making your bed. And I know that today. great start to your day. Um, and I say a prayer and meditate every day. Awesome. And I, um, try to be helpful and I don't drink or take drugs a day at a time. Nice. That's about it. Yeah. On a daily basis. Right. And there's other, I, I go to meetings. I still go to three or four meetings. Um, I host a meeting, I have dudes I sponsor, I have a sponsor, um, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like AA, it feels like life. Yeah. It feels like a way of life that fits for me. Keeps and you it, connected. And as a guy that was um, really lonely and separated from and, and, sep and sad, I don't really feel sadness anymore. And, and, I, and events happen. My parents are old and there's health stuff and corona and like the, there's some sad things but i don't it doesn't control me it doesn't I, i'm able to be sort of calm in the middle of a whirlwind at times and um 
Like that's my version of God. Interesting that uh, I had I just had a memory pop in my mind with you. Um, when we when we lived in Murray, you'll remember this very well. I went to the store one night to get some paint for my wife because she was painting something, and while I was there, I get this frantic phone call. No, we were talking on the phone. No frantism. No, no, not frant frantism. I just made That's up a, a word. word. Yeah, it's I great. Like that word. Smooth, right? Uh, frantic. Like in the middle of our phone call, my wife goes, "Is that you at the door?" Right. And I'm like, "No." What? And she's like, "I think someone's trying to break in." And then click, and I'm like, "What?" So I try and call her back. She's not there. And the first person that comes to my mind, not because you're my neighbor, I had plenty of neighbors I could have called, but the first person that comes to my mind is you because I trust you and because I loved you and because I knew if I called you, you would show up for me and my family. And isn't that cool to know? Cause I'm sure a few years ago that that never would have come to mind that you would have been that guy. Right. For sure. But to know that you've gotten to this place where you connect with God, you start doing things right. You start serving other people. Right. I think, I think that's the most important part yeah. when you start I believe in this thing, I call it the boomerang effect. What you put out into the world comes back to you. And that's how God treats us, right? Like he wants us to do our best. He wants us to love. He wants us to give. If we do, it comes back to us tenfold. For sure. And you started to to do that with service. And and now now look at that. People are people look at you and they trust you and they they want you in their lives, right? That's a beautiful thing. To go from a guy that was in a place where he didn't feel that way at all. Right. Yeah. No, I, I was no one in my family was really talking to me when right. I got sober. Yeah. Like it was, and now we're all current. And I'm sure the last thing I've said to everyone in my family is I love you. And more important than saying that, I've shown that. And we feel that. Like we know it's complete transformation. I think, I think an important thing to, to mention here is it doesn't matter if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict course, or whatever, whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with. When sometimes when we get in those dark moments, we need to remember to get outside of ourselves and connect just in the smallest ways, whatever that is, even if it's all you can do is send a text or all you can do is make a phone call or go outside and go for a walk. You, you just, you have to try and get to this point where you can get outside of yourself and connect because doing that is healthy and it brings light into your life. Can I tell you what I'm thinking? Yes. So for all of us that are not in that dark place, we need to be the ones to send the text and reach out. I love it. Because I think it gets too dark. I, for, I, That's a even good if point. I thought of that, I think that for me, the burden is why don't you call the guy that you're waiting around like, man, he hasn't called for four days. Well, I'm feeling good enough to make a phone call. So I, I don't want to disagree no, with you, but no, I think that the beautiful. burden is on those of us that can yeah. to reach out if someone's suffering and struggling and, and it, we're going to have a really uncomfortable conversation yeah. or we're going to have a difficult conversation with a kid that's sitting in their bedroom and cutting on themselves or hurting themselves. Like, cause I know it's hard yeah. stuff to say and yeah. we just say, I'm concerned you're hurting yourself. Like we, we don't skippy foot around this stuff. It is. I love you and I care for you. Can I help you? What yeah. do you need? Right? And you show up. We're met with nothing. I'm fine. Yeah. I want you to know I'm here. Like I think that because the darkness is dark and we can't do that sometimes. I was incapable. Like yeah. people are like, dude, just go to the gym. Go outside. I'm like, 
And now that you say that, I'm like in my mind, I'm the 180 because I've been there. And, right. and there's days where you can't get out of bed, right? So that's on me to reach out to those. So guys. when you do and you show up for those guys, tell me because you're a counselor, right? I mean, so one thing that you've done, Mark, is in your recovery is you've started you've started counseling centers. You've become um, over counseling centers. You've continued to stay in this work. So tell us about what you would do if you go to a friend who you just get a prompting, a thought, I need to reach out to them. I haven't heard from them for a while. You call them and they're like, I'm fine. They don't really want to have a conversation. What do you do? Like, what, how do you break through that? I, I don't know that I break through that. I think it is, I just want you to know I love you. And I, it seems like you're having a rough go. I'm here for you. Because I'm not responsible for the outcome of their life. That's a good point. Man, I thought I was for a long time. Like, if I could just help this guy a little more, he wouldn't be sad. It does, turns out it's not that way. They need higher power than me. You're not the savior. You, you just need to try. So I'm going to do my part and let them know. And I've lost quite a few friends. And I want them to, like, the, if the last thing I did and said to them was that I'm here to help you, I've, I, I can't do any more than that. Yeah. I can't make somebody get help. Yep. I can't. We nobody can. We're so not the that point powerful. is, show up. Keep reaching out. Yeah. Keep at. Keep just. I want to be available. I love it. If you need something, I'm here, dude. I yeah. know you're having a hard time. I'll pick you up and take you to coffee or a meeting or like let's. And else, if they say no, I'm like, well, when that changes, let me know. Yeah. I love you, dude. It's um, it's the hard conversation, right? Because everyone's gonna go, oh, you're fine. Okay, well, I just wanted to see how you're doing. To me, it's I know you're struggling. I really love you. You're worth it. I'm here when you're ready. And that, and my work is kind of, I'm human. There's no human power can relieve a lot of the stuff we got going on. Yeah. I can't save anyone's life. I can't make anyone drink. I can't get anyone sober. I could be in a place and say something that might be helpful, but it's God's job. Yeah. And, he, and he's up for that task. I'm not. Oh yeah. You know, like that's, um, that's more than, so Knowing that, and I used to not know that. I used to think, man, what didn't what didn't I say to that guy? Yeah. I should have picked up the phone. It's like, well, I was at work. I couldn't pick. I'm doing my best, right? Yeah. And so, it doesn't give me a pass for any of that, but it helps me settle with like I've gone to lots of funerals. Yeah. And um, mostly counseled lots of parents that have buried their children, and uh, that is really brutal. Mm. It is unimaginable to me, and so. Um, Man, I want to be sober, so I answer the phone, or so I show up at a funeral, or even a, a recovery event, right? Like, it's not all the bad stuff. I want to be present for the good stuff. Yeah. And so, um, they talk about a primary purpose in 12-step. In it's my primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And I think it's in that order, obviously. Like, you've got first to be- order of business is I got to be clean and sober, and that means not just from drugs and alcohol, but other stuff that takes me away from being my best me. And I'm no angel and I'm no saint for sure. <laughs> I mean, I know that like I, I goof around, sure. I'm a goofball. I'm, sure. I, you know, act out sometimes. Um, but but I, you don't expect yourself to be. And that's a, the beauty. I kinda, right. So it's, um, I just want to be present. And, and, and when you have a thought, when you have a feeling, you reach out and that, and doing that, 
is enough. And, and what you're doing is at that point, when you're reaching out, you're at least giving somebody the ability to make a choice whether they want to respond or not. Right. And maybe no one's told them they loved him in a week yeah. or in a year, or nobody said, I care about you or you're worth it. And they don't, it, they may not believe it. I don't yep. think I believe that when people, my sister would always, I love you, Mark, come on, hang in there. And I'm like, you don't know. Yeah. But it was probably helpful. And guess what happened right now? You just talked about that because right. that happened for you. And right. so it stays with you. Of course. And I think that's a powerful thing. For sure. Tell me, Mark, I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to transition just a little bit. If that's okay. Um, you talked about Max, your yeah. son yeah. and how he, he said something to you, uh, recently that, that basically was like, dad, I think you think you're the happiest guy in the world. Or the luckiest guy in the world. I think you think your yeah. life is better than yes. it really is. Yes. Um, we, we talked for just a second before, before the podcast and you were talking about, um, kind of where you're at as a father to Max and, and what, what would you say? Cause, cause this is your life, right? Yeah. I mean, you've, you've been in recovery centers, you've started them, you've created programs for them. You've worked with so many people. You've got great experience in this. You're not perfect. You don't have all the perfect oh, answers. On, no, I mean, you are, <laughs> but, but, but as you said yourself, you don't have all the answers. It's not your job to save everyone, right. but you are here to help. And so what would you say parents raising children? And I'm, I'm not saying for parents to have alcoholic children. That's not my first right, question, no, but right. my first question to have is teenagers and yes, adolescents and and, in, in the, and, and I'm going to take it to, to my faith. LDS culture, which is in Utah is about 50%. It's right around there. One of the things that, that is dealt with a lot is shame. You know, like if you make mistakes, you're not as good as the other people that go to church. And so you're not good enough to go anymore. What, what would you say to parents in, in raising and bringing up your children? What, what are some protective things that we can do in our parenting to help our children as they face these things in life? Cause they absolutely will. Right. right. I think I'd say, um, one of the things is really to understand guilt and shame and the difference and that, you know, guilt is I've done something wrong and shame is I am something wrong. And shame really cuts deeply into our humanity and sort of our self-worth. And I would say, um, and my kids have done things as normal kids growing up and I, you know, would, we'd kind of laugh and we'd say, you know, what do you, what do you think the consequences should be? And I remember once Max had lied to a neighbor, boy's mom, I don't even remember the thing. It was kind of funny to me, but he, I said, we're walking home because he had to leave the play date. And I'm like, what do you think, bud? What do you think? And I was calm and I adore him. I love him. I'm not going to yell at him. Yeah. His hearing is fine. You respect him. I would say, uh, don't yell unless your kids can't hear you. Okay. That when you yell, most people tune out. Yeah. Just check your own experiences. So when somebody calm. yells at me, so I said, and he said, oh, I should be grounded for a month. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem quite right. But so we went back and he told the truth to the mom and it was devastating for him and difficult. Um, but I didn't love him any less and I didn't treat him any differently. And I think, and I've done some things not so perfect too, but I, I would say that if God really loves us all the same, then I should probably lead by example first and foremost to my kids if I don't want them swearing in the house, I shouldn't swear. And I swear a lot. And my kids don't in front of me. I think I've heard Matt <laughs> swear once, but I, and Mikhail, not very much. Sure. Um, but I would say the example is like, do, do I make my bed? Now I don't, I've never told my kids they should make their bed. 
it's not my room. Yeah. I don't, if I don't like the way they're, I think to treat them as more mature than I think they are because I treat me as more mature than I think I am. Yeah. And, um, that, and these are beautiful. I, I learn a lot from my kids and if I'm open, right. And if I think I know it all and I'm the grown up and I'm the adult and I, I say like my say is not the say we're going through some stuff with my dog and I've had conversations with my kids about like, what are we going to do with the dog? And they're upset and they're sad. And I'm like, well, I'm, I want to include you in this decision. And I'm the dad and I'm a man and I can just make a decision and get sure. rid of the dog. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to, want to value them as, as human beings. And I would have had this conversation if they were eight and 15. I mean, I don't, they're both close to my daughter's an adult and, um, feels like respect. Yeah. And I don't yell at people. I respect, I don't swear at or talk down to people. I respect, I just have conversations and I will ask my kids to do something and they won't. And I'll ask them again. And what I've learned and I've told them is the one thing I will probably get most angry at is if you lie. Like if I've asked you if you've walked the dog and you say yes, and I somehow as parents, we just find out. Yeah. yeah. I don't even look. I just know. And so I have kids now. They're like, oh, no, I forgot. I'll go walk him now. Like, boy, that's better than I wasn't raised that way. Yeah. I was like, man, telling the truth was painful for me. Sure. I got in trouble for telling the truth. Sure. So I'd like to raise kids in a generation where we can tell the truth. I love it. Because we're going to make mistakes. Plan on making mistakes yes. plan on your kids acting like when when a four-year-old would spill his milk i'm like gosh there's mikhail acting like a four-year-old why would you get Stop mad it. at a kid for spilling something yeah like i spill stuff yeah laugh so, it off kind of and just understand that we're all doing the best we can yeah i so, love that it's it, it's creating a safe environment hopefully please mm. create a safe environments for our kids yeah because that's the generation that our grandkids are going to grow up in. Yeah. And I for sure want well-adjusted grandkids. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> you know, no. And you know, it's, what's interesting, Mark is, is I, I think about that and I, with my own style of parenting Right. and I, I want the rooms cleaned on Saturday yeah. and it becomes a point where if I see my kids not doing it after I've asked five times, there's frustration. And, and with Preston as a six year, now. Nah, six-year-old boy, almost seven, I've seen that if I ask him, he's hesitant to say yes or no. I usually know the answer. But what will happen is when I ask him if there's shame that comes into his mind because he knows dad's going to get frustrated, he'll want to run away. And it's interesting because I've recognized that and I've started to change that. And now it's in, and a lot of it's in my tone, exactly what you just said. And I, and I think I can do a much better job. You could clean his room with him. Amen. And have a party. <laughs> Thank you. Because one of the things I think when I hear you say my frustration, guess whose frustration that is? Yeah. It's yours. It's not his. It's mine. Right. Completely. And I think when I'm angry, it's my anger. Yeah. When I'm resentful, it's my resent. Like, I love that. I don't think they're suffering. No. Like I was angry at my mom for 40 years. She it's didn't a selfish, even know. It's a selfish thing. Well, and it's self it's self-harm. Yeah. And, and, and I think about when I was a kid growing up and certain things that stayed in my brain, that kind of becomes your self-talk, right? That, and, and, and that's teaching them to feel ashamed because they didn't do something that somebody, their parent or somebody that they disappointed. Yes. So one of the things that guilt is good for, 
is we can correct our behavior. Yes. Like if I feel bad that I didn't want lied to your right, your friend, we can correct that. The <clears throat> shame stuff takes sadly uh, lots of counseling or much more maturity than most human beings have. I mean, most adults feel shame. Yeah. And um, you know, I think it's it's a it's kind of a crisis. I mean, it's not. I don't. That's a little strong. Um, but most adult human beings feel shameful that they're not good enough. Sure. That they haven't made enough money. They're not um, pious enough or devout enough or rich enough. Thing, or, yeah. And it's, it's harmful. Because it, it, here's the way I see it. If I think I'm not enough, because I think God thinks I'm enough, I'm saying that I know more than God. Yeah. That's which cool. is rather arrogant. That's good. And I say that to people like, do you think God thinks that you're okay? And they're like, well, of course. And then, yeah. you know, in my counseling, I'm like, God, it seems kind of arrogant that you would think you know better than God. And they laugh and they tell me to bleep off or whatever. And I'm all right with that. <laughs> yeah. But, but I it's think true. it's food for thought. Yes. Of God thinks I'm perfect. Yeah. With all my bumbling and stumbling around. Who am I? Who am I to say I'm not? I love it. Who am I to get in the way? Right. And that's, man, I thank you. Because this is really important to me. Like, as a parent, I'm still a young parent, fairly young. And and I'm learning and growing. And these interviews have given me so many tools. Well, I think, too, as an adult parent, like a lot of us have adult kids. Like, I want to be, I don't want to be best friends with my kids. I want to, I'm still their parent. Yeah. I want to be pals. But I, like, I'd rather say something that's hard than not say something so they like me. And I think a lot of parents do that. And you've, and, and, and with what you've done with Max, you've created that safe environment. You've done these things and you guys have more open conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I want, I want to ask you this. You've been in the LDS culture for a while. You kind of understand the LDS culture. Um, what happens? How, how do we respond as parents when our child, um, either comes home a drunk as can be after partying and we have no idea before that or whatever because right. our child's perfect whatever not saying that we all feel that way but you know when when that happens or when we find out some of these things or or and, and i think this applies not only to drugs and alcohol but sex. there's sex and there's a problem with lgbtq in the lds culture where kids are so afraid to tell their parents as parents in this culture that you understand you, you work with a lot of these addicts that obviously come from lds homes yeah. As parents, what what can we do? So that's a great question. And I would say as any parent of any faith or any non-faith would be to talk about this stuff before it happens. Because I've talked to my kids when they were little about alcohol and drugs and sex and that they're probably going to try that stuff. I, whether you're LDS or not, I'd plan on your kids trying alcohol. I, I would just, it's a thing adolescents try. And some of them love it. And some of them are like, no, thanks. I don't want to do that again. Sure. And some never do. But I'd say, like, I prepared my kids for that. And yeah. said, plan on doing that. I, the one thing I would say would be to not get in a car. I don't care if you f- fall over in a bathroom. Like, I hope you don't. But um, that your brain, you like I told both, like they make really good decisions mostly. Sure. And that when they drink, they're going to make really bad decisions. So we have these conversations when they're 11 and 12, not at, not when they're 17. Sure. Sure. Start young. Both my kids have drank, tried alcohol by 17 and yeah. tried marijuana. And they yeah. both, we had a culture where they told us that 
where my daughter would come to us and say, I'm about to have sex with my boyfriend, who she'd been with for a year. Yeah. And my first thought was like, you haven't done that yet? And then it was, she'd asked us to go help her get some birth control. Like, plan on your kids having sex, because as a human being, it feels really good. <laughs> I don't care what your faith is. Sex is nice. Yep. When you're 15, when you're 60, when you're whatever, like... So I think we live in a delusional world where my kids are not going to do that. The reality, and this is sometimes a difficult place to live, is in reality that your kids will probably have sex and maybe try alcohol and maybe harder drugs. I don't know that. Look at your own record, parents. Probably not many saints, like probably did some of that stuff as kids or new people. Sure. Let's live in reality and treat our kids like human beings, not as perfect. Like, I don't want my, I want my kids to try that and figure out if they don't want it. Yeah. Because I, I can tell them all day long. Yeah. I do not. One of the things I've learned that's been most valuable to me in my life is that every human being on this planet is going to do whatever they want to do. Right. I can direct. I can guide. I can say. I can restrict. I can offer. They're going to do whatever they want, just yeah. like I am. Sure, sure. So I know that about kids. It's been really helpful. And they don't need to be shamed for what they, they actually need to, do. to not be shamed. Amen. More than, and listen, That's, it doesn't mean we're not disappointed or angry. Like my kids, like anger is a normal thing. Disappointment's fine. When I'm disappointed in who you are as a human being, that talks about shame. Sure. When I'm like, man, I, I, you told me you weren't going to drink last night and you drank. What's up, dude? You're putting yourself in God's position. Right. But when I just tell them, like, I'm, I'm kind of sad that you decided to drink. Yeah. I'm just talking about me, my yeah. sadness. Yeah. So I, I would say we got to be careful with that stuff because yeah. it's really creating, uh, and drugs and alcohol help that stuff. They yeah. really help shame. Yep. I don't feel shame when I'm drunk because yep. I'm drunk. You numb out, right? So um, I think kids, most most kids that have de decent self-esteem do not do drugs and alcohol. And it's interesting that you're talking about that self-esteem. And as you're doing that, you're, you're also talking about respecting your child as a person that has enough, you know, is able and capable of making decisions. Well, they're going to act the way they, the age they are. Right. And I think about, because I'm 57 and I joke when I do silly, I'm like, and you're acting like a 57 year old. <laughs> right. Because... I'm not per like sure. we still bumble around all sure. of us. And so I think having, you know, not taking all this stuff so seriously, if my yeah. kid doesn't make his bed one day, it's going to be okay. Yeah. If I hammer on him and beat on him, not literally or even literally, he's not going to be okay. No. That's if I'm like, dude, how about tomorrow by eight, your bed's made? I mean, I don't know. That sounds easier than like, God, I've told what you are you doing? Times and you make and, that your focus of the day, right? And it ruins my day, my days sideways. Like I've decided to have mostly good days, so that stuff doesn't really. Yeah. They just close their door. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's not my room. No, I don't my, like. You can live in a. And I'm reminded that as a kid, I didn't clean my room. Yeah. And now I like, I didn't eat well. Like Boy, I, you know, I don't pick battles with what my kids eat. Can you imagine how God? feels about us you talked about right. how he looked at you as his little what, what little did you buddy say? little buddy look at his look at my little buddy doing all these things laughing right and yet sometimes 
as a parent, I'll, I'll, I'll say for myself, myself for, as an example, you know, if, if I ask something to my kids like, hey, my son needs to really practice his reading, so I'm going to ask him to do his reading. But if he doesn't do it, then I get frustrated. Well, what, why? Why? Because he's capable of understanding and learning that reading's important and he's got to do it in school. And if he doesn't do it, he's going to feel a certain way while the other kids do it. And so I'm going to remind, I'm, I'm going to talk to him about the consequences of not practicing in the right way. But, but for me to put myself in a place where I become God and I'm the one that's like that, that's, yep. I think this is really important to acknowledge in the fact that a lot of alcoholics, a lot of, a lot of drug addicts struggle with these substances because they live in a lot of shame and they For go sure. to places to try and numb it out. It drives it. It fills the hole up. Then the hole is like, I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. And then what happens to us is we look at them on the streets, panhandling or whatever. We also look at them and go, oh, there's a loser. Yeah. If he was just not so lazy, he could go get a job. I know McDonald's is hiring all the time. Go get a job. Get, you know, get clean yourself up and go to a job. That's not fair. And I, and I, and I think Mark, I, I thank you. Thank you for thank you. The, you've got so much wisdom and, and, and I think, I think there's so much value in what you're saying, not only for alcoholics, but just in life in general. And I, and I, I want to make sure we're not differentiating like alcohol, like I'm a regular dude. If sure. you saw me, you wouldn't have no idea. No idea. Alcoholic. No so idea. it doesn't, you know, it's a disease I have. It's a brain disorder. The American medical association says it is. Sure. Most of us humans don't think it's a disease. Sure. We think it's a moral defect. Um, but we're, um, I assure all of your listeners that sitting in church with you are some alcoholics yeah. and some drug addicts and some porn addicts and yep. some other things. Yep. And what we need is support and love. God loves and, them. Right. There's no value lost. Right. So it's, and it's difficult because it looks like a different disease than cancer. Yes. Yes. You know, we all have sympathy for the dude that's got cancer and, and we want to be there. But that show guy's up. not, you know, stealing our security and our money and all that. So they, they behave a little differently, but they are classified exactly the same by the American Medical Association as Interesting. diseases. Interesting. So, and, and one of the things I'll just, I'll just talk about, and then, and then I think, um, just some closing thoughts for and sure. questions Thank for you. you. Um, my experience, Mark, I, 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 I know when I was full blown addict drinking every day, morning to evening and still trying to have a job crazy. You, you know what I mean? You've been there. You have people you've worked with that have been there. Um, I remember that the people that I wanted to go be around were also other addicts because yep. I felt, I felt better. And I'll tell you, there's something about that that we need to understand as a culture too. There's something about the heart of an addict. The heart of an addict is so good. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes some get to the point where they're so far, you can't really feel it. And it's sad, but the heart of an addict is so good. And they, there's so much value, so much love there just like all the rest of everybody else, right? Someone that's making great choices, awesome choices in their life. You see them smiling bright in their face. Guess what? You go meet, you go talk to an alcoholic for 10 minutes alone and guess what you're going to feel? You're going to feel loved. They're, they're going to, there's, I, I don't know that I've ever felt so accepted so quickly as with people that, yeah. because there's, there's hurt there. Right. And that hurt heart wants to just feel better. And, and so they want to make you feel better. And, um, 
so my love, my love is, is absolutely with people that are in those moments really struggling. And I, and I, I, I feel for them, I, I love them, but you know, I, I, they're special people and we need to remember that always. Um, tell me real quick, fill us in on, um, your current, you currently are working for a nonprofit. Yep, I work for a nonprofit and we help prisoners transition out of prison. Which is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's a different take. I've been working in treatment for about 15 years and just got sort of um, recruited to this position by a, a dude I helped some time ago who's quite a guy who's created this nonprofit. It's, it's called Persevere. Persevere. And we, um, you know, the, the core of it is to teach coding, computer coding in prisons. So we're in classrooms, and um, my job is to help the transition piece because getting a job is fine, but if you can't stay sober, you can't stay, figure out your finances or you're emotionally uh, it's dysregulated. It's hard to keep. Um, the idea is to keep human beings of the same value as you and me out of cages yes. and able to provide for their children and their parents and their communities and their themselves. They, they think of this. They're I just mean, you and me. I mean, I didn't get caught as yeah. much. I've been to. I did not get caught of the thousands of nights I drove drunk. Yeah. I got caught once. Yeah. And I only drove drunk like 10 years after that. Yeah. These guys got caught doing the same stuff. A lot of us have done whether you're drunk or not. Yeah. Right. And so, um, they're the same, they're the people sitting next to you, working with you in school with your kids that, um, God loves us all the same, man. And yeah. and and the esteem. I, I mean, I don't know how to code. Learning how I to code, either. right? Learning how These to code. These guys do it, and they love it. And I mean, I talked to a guy today who was so excited that he's got this animation project. How cool! Like, I don't know how to do that. I right. Can barely. Turn so to on come out, YouTube to watch animation. All of a sudden, you take people who have been here for a while. They come out, and they've got esteem. They feel good. They can do got something. A skill. Yes, they've got it. So, that um, way to go. It feels nice to be part of that. Way to go. And now, I spend a lot of my time caring for my dad, which feels really Yes. Good. Now, how old's your dad? He'll be 86 Kay. Saturday. Awesome. Well, I hope I hope that he'll listen to this and, and uh, uh, hear, hear of your love. I, before we even started this, Mark, you talked a lot about your dad and, and how much you love him. So I, I yeah. just, what's your dad's name? Sanford. Sanford. Mark loves you. Sanford and son. Yeah, Sanford yeah. and son. All right, I love it. Um, but you, so you, you're, you're a nonprofit, persevere, you're doing some really good things in, in your life ever since you really made this decision one day at a time, you've, you've served. I mean, you've, you've put yourself back in these addiction recovery programs, in these homes, you've developed programs to help people get out of that. I see that so much with the people that, that I interact with and that have been on my podcast sharing their stories is when they've gone through hard things one of the one of the things that we do when we're when we're recovering from right. whatever it is is we serve and we give back because all of a sudden there's this piece of gratitude in our right. hearts that we we've, we've been missing for a long time well and i and for me it is um some of it's the the do the dues that i owe those men that rallied around me and i like to that guy that my family would say saved my life like if one family would say that about me, like any human being, right? Like, and he didn't literally save my life. He was just like, that's God. Yeah. But he was there. And if I could, you know, impact one dude, right? And we think of these ripple effects because he's helped one guy. He, yeah. He decided to really invest in one guy. And I've done that over my career and some guys. And if, 
like the ripple effect of yep. this helping one person. Just help one guy. Changes generations. Right. And and let's be real. God answers people's prayers sometimes by sending other people into your lives. That's uh, I haven't seen like a version of God other than a human being. That's right. I mean, so, he that's how he, he that's how he works. And my yeah, my thing is like I asked God for help and He sent me to these people in AA. Yeah. Like that's they just came into my like that's the help I got. I, I love it. My prayers were answered. I asked God for help every day and He sent Mark Doctor Pepper into my life. So here we go. Thank you, Michael. Um. So, so I just, I, I have a couple more questions for you. I want to get to real quick. Um, when you were in the middle of your addiction, full blown, were you able to recognize, like, were you able to recognize that you were dropping lower and lower and Absolutely. darker and darker Absolutely. and darker? You saw it. Well, I felt it, saw it. I ended up at a park when I owned a home. I mean, it like literally changed and for sure spiritually and emotionally changed. So even though you recognized it, you still didn't have the ability to change it in that Correct. moment. That's, and, and, and so expound on that. So tell me, uh, it's, at what point does it get to the point where, okay, people call it rock bottom. What, what point does it get to that for well, so you? So my sobriety, have, I got sober probably 18 months after I lived at that park. Okay. Like I'm talking about a woman driving away with her kid. I, we rented a home in a pretty nice neighborhood when I finally got sober, sure. So living at a park and, you know, eating out at a soup kitchen or out of a dumpster didn't, I didn't get sober. Yeah. Felt like a rock bottom, but I think the spiritual rock bottom is when you, um, for me was, I, I can't and I can't not. I've tried every, I kind of just ran out of my own ideas. Yeah. I needed to go where some, the ideas were already in place. I just needed to do them and I needed God's strength to do them. But I didn't, I couldn't manipulate any more women or any more situations to keep the game up. And I think, I think that's really important to talk about is when, when someone's hit rock bottom, it doesn't mean if, when they recognize right. that, it doesn't mean they're going to change like that. Right. It means sometimes things have to happen for a while. There's lessons that come over time that eventually slow, slow, little minuscule steps will be taken. Yeah. And those things are little building blocks and we got to give people grace and time and mercy please, to take those please. steps. Cause it, if we could rush that, we would, we cannot. Yeah. If, if my parents could have gotten me sober when I was 17, they would have. Sure. They didn't. And I was 39, like it took years of hell and of drinking. It just took what it, it takes, what it takes. And yeah. I hope that people live like the problem with drugs and alcohol is people die. And we're losing real good, good folks. And we need more people on this side. Give grace, sure. give mercy and look at, I, I look at, and this is not the final product, but I look at you right now sitting across from me, Mark. And I go, this is a human being that is good. Mm. And this is a human being that is doing good things here to, to support God's children or, or you know, God's, God's love for his, his, his little buddies down here on this, love on this it. earth. Right. So Final, th final questions for me. Okay. Um, and I could talk to you all night. This has been awesome. This is really nice. Yeah. There's so you. much valuable information, Mark, that you, you can give us and that you've already given us. Um, if, if I was, you take somebody in that darkest moment where they're right on the verge of, let's say giving up or even committing suicide. They're right there. They're, they want to quit. 
They hate themselves. They're worthless. They feel no value. Everybody hates them or whatever. There's just, there's just nothing going from their mad. They're mad at God, if you will. If you could look that person in the eye, what, what would you say to them? It's a good question. I think, um, one of the things I would say would be, can you put off whatever you're thinking of doing just for one day? What if we get through tonight and then if you still want to kill yourself tomorrow or you want to drink tomorrow, um, can we talk about that? Um, cause I think a little bit of time sometimes really helps. Sure. Um, and it, once it's too late, it's too late. And it, you know, whether it's, um, drugs and alcohol, mental health, other addictions, behavior addictions, suicidality. Um, again, it's going to change, right? And it might take some years and it might take a minute. Yeah. We, we never know. Um, and I would just ask for a day. Yeah. I just ask them like, can you just give me one more day? And, um, if they were drunk, if they were already inebriated or, or impaired, I probably wouldn't talk to them. Yeah. Probably say that because they're not going to remember. It's going to be some decisions that are poorly made. But most people, when they verbally contract to like not hurt themselves for a day, won't. Yeah. They'll stick to that. And so, um, and I do that in facilities or with, with clients. And I just say, with, if you, before you decide to hurt yourself, call me. I'd like to say goodbye. I'd like to tell you how much I love you. I, I think one thing that's so neat about what you just said. In my brain, I would I would try and do something to change their minds. Right. Good luck. <laughs> right? Right. And no one could have done that for me when I was in that moment. But yeah. that's that's kind of the way I think. Right. Right. The way and most I, of us think. Right. The way you understand free agency is beautiful. And the way you value people as their agents under themselves, their own people, is so it's special. I, I think Thanks. just that idea to say, Hey, I'm with you. I know I I, I get where where you could be and must be. Can you hold on for one more day? Right. Just and through if not, the then we're going to the hospital. Yeah. Like I, yep. I, don't, I don't miss. I mean, wellness checks, hospital visits are, I'd rather be overly careful with yep. someone that's thinking of hurting themselves than not. Yeah. I don't. But I, still giving them that, that, that. They get to, because they're, they're going to do what they want that's it. anyway. And, and to give them, that's, that's in a way, that's showing them respect right. and love, which is that's, what an addict wants so much. They just want to feel worth it, right? Right. It's not like, well, you can't do that. Think of all the people you'll disappoint. And if I'm, cha- if I'm trying to change their mind, they're in their brain, they're going to sit there and go, oh, come on. I've heard this a million times. My right. mom and dad used to say this to me. So this these is people. allowing them to be them, acknowledging Make a humanity. choice. Yeah. Because I believe in you. Make a choice. And it, listen, if you got to go, like, please say goodbye. I want you to know how much, like, that kind of shocks some people. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've gotten some FUs with, um, call before you go. I want to say goodbye. They're like, what do you, why would I do that? Why would you like, say, Because yeah. I care about you. Yeah. So anything to change that current state Put without it. talking them out of it. I don't, good luck talking anyone out of anything they've decided to do. Yeah. That's clear-headed, not clear-headed. Like if when we've decided to do things, we do it. Yeah. Good, bad, indifferent. Yeah. So that's interesting. Thank yeah. you for sharing. You're that's welcome. really that's really cool. Okay. Um. Take the darkest moments of your life, and and you you know them very clearly because you don't forget them. In those moments where you you felt worthless, no value, um, like quitting. 
what what does that moment give you hmm. that's the gift what's the gift that you received at that moment <clears throat> i think it's given me perspective and it's given me an appreciation for all all of us that um you know i thought i was broken i thought i was damaged i thought i was kind of uh, expendable and man i look at myself today i'm like man if i thought that because i I think pretty positively now, like imagine who else could think that. So, um, my experience as I wander around is like all of us are probably hurting about something. All of us probably have some pain. Um, and how do I want to, all of us are, you know, there's like an, we're spiritually sick at some level. That's how I see that. Sure. How do I want to treat people that are sick with judgment and anger and scorn? Well, no, not really like to do that with some compassion and some love and some tenderness and I've got to have some of that myself to give you any right like I, I can't it. offer you anything I don't have and so um, I, I got some forgiveness for myself but I also got this humanity of we all it doesn't matter what like I grew up in a really nice home yeah really big beautiful home doesn't matter yeah and I know there are people that don't grow up in nice homes that are that don't struggle. We, we all have something. And so sort of embracing all of us as hum, humans in this, it's a very divided time politically, economically, spiritually, religious, like the, everything is you're on this side or that side. And Black or white. It's, we're all in it together, man. Yeah. And I need you and you need me. And if I could see it that way, that we kind of need each other, not in like, I don't need, I just need to like look you in the eye and let you know I'm here with you. Yeah. So I think it's some humanity and some compassion, hopefully. I love it. Thank you. You know, you, you know, Mark, I, I think of, um, there's a, there's a saying from a book, um, that's called the wounded healer. And it very much reminds me that it's interesting in life, how the people that are wounded the most turn around and become the healers. And I, I just, knowing you and, and looking at your example in life, that's, those are the steps that you've taken. And if that's what the darkest hours of your life have given to you, are there any regrets for that? I, I have none. No. Well, Hey, I can't do anything. <laughs> about it, so why <laughs> yes, would I you regret can't change it? it but, I've tried to go back 20 right. years and change. Like it's, it's a, it's a horrible exercise. I guess so. the question would be then, are you grateful for it? Of course. It? Yeah. Every bit of it, every dark moment is, cause I think when it's, I think about like waking up, and it's sort of what happened when I got sober is, you know, when you're first opening your eyes and it's the, the brightness is so bright yeah. that I think that recovery from whatever we're recovering, from, even, you know, anything is when it's been really dark, the brightness is just brighter. So brilliant. Like the goodness is so good Yeah. to my son's like, do I think my life is better than like, it's, it's a pretty, it, it looks kind of boring <laughs> to me. It's like the best. Yeah. So can I see that because of the darkness? I think so. A little more clearly. So it's beautiful. And we need to give each other the grace and mercy to be able to do that for ourselves, please, right? Because we all need that. Mark, you're awesome. Thank you, Mike. Love you, man. Thanks Love for being you. on the show. It feels great. Yep. Thank you.